called to be and take care of your husband and your family. But he says this, I only say this for your benefit. Not to put a restraint upon you, not to command you not to be married, not to command you that marriage is bad and you're not going to be able to be a Christian if you have a wife or a husband. That's not the reason I'm saying this, church. He says, but to promote, somebody say promote, to promote what is appropriate and to secure, somebody say secure. I love that word secure. It means to solidify, to lock in, to make sure that nothing can keep it from happening, nothing can keep it from being solid, to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just invite your Holy Spirit here this morning, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you move me out of the way and you, you speak through me, Lord. Inspire me, Lord, to share a word that will empower the people and not only empower the people, but will expose the tactics of the enemy, God. And I pray you grace everyone in this room to have spiritual ears to hear what you are speaking this morning, God. Prepare our hearts to receive a word and let it fall on good ground. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all the saints said... Amen. And so like I said, I was asking God, what word do I need to share after a revival, after a leadership conference, after God put some intentional stuff down in our spirit to work on, to improve, to cultivate, and the word he gave me was distraction. He said the title this morning is The Devil's Distraction. The Devil's Distraction. The Devil's Distraction. Because God wants us to focus, God wants us to improve, God wants us to go forward, and the enemy wants us to forget everything that was just spoken here at this conference. And so right now, you have to be sober, and you have to be alert, the word says, because the devil roams like a lion, running to and fro, seeking who he may devour. And if you believe in God, let me tell you something, you can't negate Satan. If you believe in God, you can't cancel out spiritual warfare. If you believe in God, then you also have to believe there's an enemy that wants to conflict you, that wants to come against you, that wants to distract you. And so Paul is saying in the scripture, what we do is so serious. What we do, the work of the Lord, our spiritual worship, what we do is so serious that even good things can be distracting even good things can be distracting. And Paul said it's not a command to not marry, but it's a serious instruction to explain to you how deceiving and how destructive distraction can be. You see, distraction can hide in good things. Distraction can hide in moral things. Distraction can hide in good ethical things. And guess what, saints? Distraction can even sometimes hide in spiritual things. Sometimes the enemy will distract you with, to get busy doing something when God never intended you to do it. And now at the end of the day, you're burnt, you're tired, you're worn out, and now God really is calling you to do something, and you ain't got it in you to do it. Because the enemy distracted you over here with something spiritual, right? Something spiritual. And when we talk about distraction, I think some of us really, really... Uh, doubt the power of distraction. You see, as I was reading about car wrecks in Texas and uh, uh, um, car crashes, and I see that 1.6 million crashes each year happens because someone is texting on their phone and they're distracted. 
When we talk about car wrecks and we talk about crashes, we think of drunk driving. Oh, drunk driving's bad. Oh, getting high and driving's bad, right? Uh, doing that stuff, uh, being intoxicated is bad to leave a bar. Oh, it's bad. That's what the wrecks, crashes. Don't do it. We got mad. You know, mothers against drunk driving. You know, we got these uh, A and NA. We got all these classes to try to prevent drunk driving. But I believe that we actually need to have a class on driving undistracted. And also, one of the uh, factors I read, one of the facts, one out of every four car wrecks are because someone was distracted while texting and driving. Someone was distracted while texting and driving. And maybe for just a second I can entertain your mind, your spirit, and say, well, what about spiritually? Because a lot of times we feel like the devil is coming with a big, bad, evil scheme. And he wants to throw drugs at us, wants to see us uh, go back to our addiction. He wants to throw unforgiveness at us and have us not forgive uh, uh, someone in our life. Or he wants to throw an idea to murder someone. But sometimes all the enemy has to do is distract us. And as we're distracted, most of us will be headed for a car wreck, a spiritual crash, a spiritual wreck. A lot of times it's just distraction. It's just distraction. The enemy wants to distract us. And we know the story of Martha and Mary. You know, Martha and Mary, Martha prepared a house for Jesus to come in, and Jesus come in, and Jesus was in the house, and it says Mary was laid down at her feet, and she was just worshiping Jesus. She was just worshiping the Lord, and Martha was going around, and she was concerned about many things that didn't matter, and the Bible actually says she was distracted. It says she was distracted. And what God is really trying to speak, I believe, through this passage of Scripture is not that working or preparing the house or doing these things to make sure we have a place to worship. That's not the issue. But the issue is, what do you do when Jesus enters the room? What do you do when Jesus is in the house? You see, if Jesus is in the house and the anointing is here and the presence of the Lord is so thick, so palpable, so tangible, you can't help but feel it. You can't help but receive it. The question is, do you raise your hands then? Do you get undistracted from all this stuff that can be done at a later time and do you worship the living God? What do you do when Jesus enters the room? And listen, distraction, when you're distracted, check this out. You can, you can decide what's good and bad when you're distracted. You can still be distracted and you can still choose between good and bad when you're distracted. When I'm distracted and I'm doing stuff and the guys come ask me, hey, uh, you think I can go ahead and go sleep and I'm distracted? No, right? I know what's good and bad. I can, I can discern that. But check this out. When you're distracted, you can't choose what's between good and best. When you're distracted, you can't choose and discern between what's good and what's best. You see, you have to be devoted. You have to be devoted. You have to be, uh, have the right priority list. You have, to be, you have to have devotion in your life. You see, distraction can choose between good and bad, but only devotion can choose between what's good and what's best. And doesn't the Bible say the enemy comes as an angel of light? He comes as an angel of light. Most of the time, when he comes to distract us or deceive us, it looks like a good idea. It looks like a good opportunity. It looks like a good situation. And if you're distracted, you're not going to be able to discern or understand what you need to do when it comes to deciding between what's good and what's best. What's good and what's best. 
the devil's distraction and the enemy the enemy wants to use this tool of distraction to distract you from what really God has for you in this season of your life. And I was reading and I was studying about distraction. And you know, I don't know much about history, but I have read and studied in World War II, there was an army called the Ghost Army, right? Has anyone ever heard of that? The Ghost Army? Yeah, college boy. The Ghost Army. And this ghost army in World War II, they were, they were situated across the River Rhine, right? And, of course, the Germans, they took to the air to survey this army. It was the ghost army. And this ghost army camp was full of people. And when, you, when the Germans flew over with their plane to survey it, they saw tanks and they saw cars and they saw soldiers out there training, shooting guns. And they saw, they saw all this stuff. They saw all this movement. They saw all this busyness. They saw all this action. They saw all this stuff. It, it appeared to be about 30,000 people when they surveyed and they looked. But it turns out this camp, the ghost army camp, was only made up of about 1,000 people. A thousand people. And you can go even further than that. This ghost army camp, right? It was intentional about who it recruited. This ghost army camp wasn't full of a SWAT team. It wasn't full of special forces. It wasn't full of spitnaz. It wasn't full of these uh, uh, real soldiers. It wasn't full of real enemies, in a sense. You see, the ghost army was recruited by picking out artists and theater majors and musicians these were the people that was recruited in this ghost army. And this ghost army did such a good job to try to portray a real army camp that they actually had to stop U.S. pilots from landing on their land strip. That's how good of a job they did, presenting and portraying a false camp of 30,000 people. And the sounds that the Germans heard, it wasn't them building a bridge to try and get across the Rhine to go to war. It wasn't army training. It wasn't warfare. The sounds they heard across the river was only uh, sounds and noises and songs played across loudspeakers to reach across the river to sound like real action, to sound like real warfare, to sound like a real army in a sense. And the, the planes, the tanks, the, the helicopters, all these things were just props. They were just balloons. They were just cardboard in a sense. That's all they were. And listen, the ghost army even went as far as to fill the radio with fake radio chatter and fake more signals to appear as realistic as possible. This is how they went over the edge. They, they were diligent about presenting something to be an enemy that wasn't really an enemy. And... It turns out this ghost army, they did their job and they were victorious in distracting the Germans. You see, when the Germans went across the River Rhine to, to, get, to flank the ghost army, to get a strategical position on the ghost army, the U.S. attacked from another strategic vantage point 10 miles on the River the Rhine and they were victorious in defeating the Germans. And so you ask yourself, what do you think they found more surprising, saints? the victorious attack 10 miles north on the Rhine or the fact that they were preparing, they were getting ready and they were confronting an enemy that wasn't even real. You see, the ghost army was full of tricks, it was full of gimmicks, and it was full of deception. And in simple terms, the ghost army was a distraction. 
And you see, saints, the enemy we face as a Christian, he has mastered the art of distraction, aiming to draw your attention from the primary conflict, taking your primary attention, your energy, your time, away from the real enemy, away from the real conflict, and to challenge you with unnecessary battles and sidetrack you with distractions. I can confidently say in this room right now, there are people, there are people that are spending time and energy on fights that ain't even real. That ain't even real. There are people in this room right now working themselves to death, confronting a challenge or an unnecessary battle that doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Why? Because the enemy knows you're a child of God and he knows he can't win one-on-one because you have the anointing on your life and you are saved. You have Jesus inside of your heart. You, the Holy Spirit's working in and upon your life. And so the enemy can't confront you one-on-one. And so what he has to do is distract you with something else so he can go 10 miles north and hit you from somewhere else. The enemy wants to distract you wants to distract you, wants to take your focus off the real solution, take your focus off the real conflict. There is an enemy and his name is Satan and he hates it when you worship and he hates it when you pray and he hates it when you witness about Jesus and he hates it when you study your word and he hates it when you help somebody else that's struggling and he hates it when you come to church and praise and worship, he hates it. And so guess what he's gonna do, saints? He's gonna distract you from doing that. He's going to distract you with anything he can from doing that. And as far as unnecessary battles go, listen, listen, the enemy often causes, come on church, the enemy often causes tension between unsuspecting believers instigating misunderstandings that lead to offense. Uh Huh? Come on, church. You ain't taking notes. Act like you're taking notes. As far as unnecessary battles go, the enemy often causes tension between unsuspecting believers. You check that out? Unsuspecting believers, believers that aren't sober, that aren't alert, that aren't paying attention to the true enemy, the primary conflict, the spiritual warfare which they enlisted themselves in when they were got saved. They're unsuspecting and he instigates misunderstandings between two believers that lead to an offense. That lead to an offense. You know, sometimes I'll text pastor. Yeah, and some of you have been through this too. Some of you have been through it with me. You'll text me and I'll, ah, right? Or you'll text somebody, right? You text a friend or somebody in the church. And you know, pastor say, for instance, hey son, I need you to preach Sunday. Right? And I open my phone, you know, ding, and I'm like, oh, sweet. Pastor wants me to preach, guys. You know, oh, I'm excited. And I'll put on there, yeah, whatever, Pastor. Right? And it'll go through, right? Boom. Hit the other side, and Pastor will be a mom, and they're in the, you know, their room doing something, and he'll get the text, bing. Yeah, whatever, Pastor. What? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, whatever, Pastor. And then Pastor will come through, well, I'm going to have you preach every service the rest of the year. And it'll come through me, and I'll be like, dude, guys, Pastor wants me to preach every service for the rest of the year. And I'm excited. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, Pastor. Amen. Click, and it'll send. 
Then pastor will get it. That's what I'm talking about, pastor? Amen. And then he'll call me. What's up with you, son? Oh, pastor, I'm so excited. And he'll be like, oh, he's excited. You see what I'm saying? And I guarantee everyone in this room has been through something like that. And check this out. The enemy, the enemy, the enemy does that with our Christian relationships. He does it with our Christian relationships. He'll take something that was said. He'll take something that was said. And, and, and he's, he's a, whoo, come on now. And it gets in the air and he sprinkles it with a little bit of doubt. He seasons it up, sprinkles it with a little bit of unbelief, sprinkles it with a little bit of arrogance, sprinkles it with a little bit of bitterness, sprinkles it with a little bit of disrespect. He sprinkles it with a little bit of envy, sprinkles it with a little bit of hatred. And then he sends that word to the person. And then they get the word and they're like, what? Because check this out. We're not ignorant to his devices and I've seen it. I've seen the play. Why would Satan waste time discouraging us when he can just get us to do the work for him? Why would Satan waste time discouraging us and having demons discouraging us, principalities discourage us when he can just get us to do his work for him. <laughs> he delegates it. All right, all right, Zachary, I want you to discourage pastor today. <laughs> yes, sir. We can't do it, pastor. We can't do it. We ain't got enough, right? Why would he discourage us when he can just get us to do his work for him? Come on, somebody. It's preaching now. Amen. And this is a huge problem in the church. It's a huge problem in the house of God. Amen. Why would the enemy spread evil reports and get us to gossip and slander when we can just do it our, he can just get us to do it ourselves? Why would he come around and accuse, whisper stuff in people's ears when he can just whisper it in my ear and I go and gossip and slander that person's name and accuse them myself? You can't outsmart Satan. The only way is to read this book right here and walk in it. And you got to think about it. He's been doing this for thousands of years. Thousands of years. He sees how man reacts. He sees what makes man tick. He sees what weapons, discouragement, envy, jealousy, what he can use the most. He, he, he studies, he sees it, and he uses it. Right? Didn't the Bible say that he was the wisest of all creatures created in the beginning in Genesis? Amen? Yeah. Ephesians 6.12. And so what, what I suppose, what I suggest we do, saints, as the body of Christ, after this awesome move of God, this awesome conference, what I, what I really encourage you to do is refocus your conflict. Refocus your conflict. The Apostle Paul goes to say this to the church of Ephesus. He says, for our struggle, who's he talking about? He's talking about us. Our struggle, our conflict, our enemy, our fight, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your brother. It's not against your pastor. It's not against your leader. It's not against your family. It's not against uh, your neighbors. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. 
That's your enemy. That's who's warring against you. That's who's whispering that nonsense, whispering that negativity in your ear about your Christian brother. He's your enemy. He's your enemy. Satan's your enemy. And check, saints, saints, listen. It is spiritual naive. It is spiritual naive to believe the enemy is not behind division and dissension in the church. It is spiritual naive to not believe Satan is the one trying to bring division into the church. It is. You think about, you think, you, you ever hear about, oh, Chick-fil-A split up. Oh, tamales, they split up. Had a business split, right? Oh, Hastings split up, right? The clubhouse had a split, you know, right? Had a split. You don't ever hear nothing like that. But how many times in, when you talk about churches do you hear about a church split? Church split. This church split. That church split. This church split. And I can guarantee you that every church split, right, it started with an offense. Every single time. It started with someone getting offended. And guess who planted that seed of bitterness to grow into an offense? The enemy. The enemy. The enemy. Few demonic assaults. He ain't got much more in his arsenal that can do more damage than division and dissension in the house of God. He ain't, got, he ain't got many more assaults than that. Division and dissension in the house of God, right? Why do you think in the ministry, right, the enemy wants to do everything he can to put a wedge in between you and your leadership? Because those are the very people that God has equipped and raised up to empower you and to equip you to walk in your God-given destiny. He wants more than anything for you to not receive from a leader. He wants more than anything to ruin your relationship with your pastor. He wants more than anything to isolate you from your spiritual family that God brought you to. He wants more than anything to do it. Because all the hard work's done if he can do that. Amen? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And the word of God reads. It says, pursue peace. Wow. With who? With who? With who? So not just the nice people. Pursue peace with all men. If you're not pursuing peace in any relationship you have in your life, you're disobeying the word of God. Wow. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And right here, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root, somebody say root. root. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it many be defiled. You see, bitterness begins as a seed. Bitterness begins as a seed. And when it starts, it's small. Right? You just have a little you know, negativity whispered in your ear about a leader or a brother, or another family in the church, or you have a little disagreement with a leader, or your pastor, or another woman or man in the church, right? It starts out little. It starts out small. And just like a seed, bitterness is nurtured and it's watered until it's a huge obstruction choking out all spiritual life in you. It's nurtured and it's watered. Continue more disagreements, Right? More arguments, 
more accusations, more negativity. It's nurtured and it's watered until it's a huge obstruction from you receiving anything God has for you in this season. Amen? Listen, how many times have you believed something negative about your Christian brother, your Christian sister, a Christian leader, or even your pastors without probable cause? Just because of emotional vulnerability. And check this out. Whether such negativity is planted from bitterness or offense, most of it derives from demonic activity. Most of it comes from an unclean spirit. Most of it comes from demonic whispers. And you may think negativity and bitterness came from an offense. Someone hurt you and they wronged you. But it would be real surprising to find out that most of everything when it comes to dividing relationships in Christianity is the counsel from the devil on your shoulder. And when we allow offense and we allow jealousy and we allow bitterness and we allow pride to rule how we see someone else, you are applying what Satan taught you. Mm. When you allow jealousy and offense, bitterness and competitive pride to rule how you see someone else, how you interact with someone else, how your relationship is with someone else, you are only applying the advice the devil whispered on your shoulder. He's teaching and you're just soaking it up. You're right, you're right, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Christ-like characteristics, saints, it's not just about lifting your hands. It's not just about praying or memorizing scripture. It's not just about serving or working. But really, Christ-like characteristics, it's more of having humility in relationships, having kindness in relationships, showing mercy on the ones that don't deserve mercy, showing love on the ones that don't deserve love. That's Christ-like characteristics. That's what it is. And most of us, when we think of a demonic attack, we think it to be some crazy, dark, over-spiritual situation. We heard demons speaking to us last night, right? The, the demons are on me. The devil is coming to me. Or we think, if, if you know God delivered us from drug addiction, we think it's a relapse or, or it's pills showing up on the floor or it's the old dope man coming by or, you know, it, whatever it is or whatever it may be, we think that's demonic attacks, but I'm here to tell you, the reality is most demonic attacks are just as strong in bitterness, in unforgiveness, and in offense planting, just as a relapse or murder. Demonic presence, demonic activity is just as strong when it comes to relationships in the house of God as it is with a relapse or murder. And write this down. The only way to really identify distractions is to clarify your goals. The only way that you will be able to, in this Christian walk, to identify your distractions is to clarify your goals. If you don't have any goals, it's not a distraction. It's just what you do. You have to, have, you have to clarify your goals before you identify distractions. And this is what I've come to find out in my years of following Jesus is the enemy will tailor fit the distraction to the God-given destiny God has called you to. 
the enemy will tailor fit the distraction to the God-given goal or the God-given destiny which he wants you to walk into. And a lot of Christians think, oh, the, the enemy, he distracted me with sin. He distracted me with uh, adultery. He distracted me with, with trying to lie. Or he distracted me with stealing. The enemy didn't distract you with sin. The enemy tempts you with sin. The enemy tempts you with sin. You see, the enemy distracts you with things that look good. Distracts you with earthly things. Distracts you with wasting your time on the wrong things, with petty things. This is how the enemy distracts you, not with sin. He tempts you with sin, right? He tempts you with sin. And what I've come to realize, and this is deep, even compliments can be a distraction from the enemy. Even compliments can be a distraction from the enemy. Oh, man. You preach real good. You're a good preacher. I get fired up when you preach, when you teach. Oh, you're good. Right? And then you know what the enemy whispers in my ear? Just focus on becoming a better preacher, not a better Christian. No. It says deep. Compliments can even be a form of distraction. Oh, you're so smart and talented. Man, you don't need any spiritual leaders. Oh, man, you got, you got so many options. Why serve God? Go do something else. You are so talented. You are so experienced. You're so good when, when you put your hands to the plow. Why serve God? Why do full-time ministry? You have so many options. Even a compliment can be a distraction. And so... I got six points. Real quick, and I'm done. Amen? That was my intro. Six points. Are we good, Pastor? Real quick. Number one, how to know if you're being distracted? No consistency. You have no consistency. If there is no consistency, especially in your spiritual disciplines, you're most likely living in distraction. Those that are undistracted, they prioritize important things properly. This is number one, if you, if you can tell if you're being distracted, there's no consistency in your, in your walk. No consistency. Number two, the second way you can realize if you're being distracted, there's no resistance in your spiritual life. There's no resistance. The enemy don't ever mess with you. You don't ever go through nothing. We're all going through hell. What in the world? Man, this is standing strong through this. We're getting hit left and right. All kinds of crazy stuff. We're questioning, you know, salvation. What's going on? Like, God help. No resistance. The enemy is ignoring you. You want to know why? Probably because you're not a threat. Probably because you're not a threat. If you're walking in the spirit and you're walking in God's will, the enemy will come against you. Jesus said this, that my church will be built on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail. And that means if you're on the rock and you're in the church and you're walking in the spirit in God's will, that the enemy will oppose you, but he will not prevail. There's no resistance. There's no opposition. And listen, saints, God told us we would have peace in our hearts, not our life. And number three, 
No cross. Third way, you know you're being distracted. There's no cross. There's never any sacrifice. You never inconvenience yourself for nobody else. There's no cross. Jesus said, take up thy cross. Sacrifice. Get told no when you want to hear a yes. Listen, Christianity is extreme. Christianity is not casual. It may be religion, but it's not Christianity. Christianity is extreme. You see, the followers of Jesus in the Bible, they were willing to be inconvenienced and persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. Christianity is extreme. It's not casual. And if you can do what you're doing without God, you're probably not doing what God called you to do. If you're doing what God called you to do, you're going to need God to do it. My gosh. Woo. I know through my day, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. If you only knew. Number four, no progress. How you, you know you're being distracted. There's no progress. You cannot identify distraction until you identify your goals. And for the believer... For the pe person that's saved, the people that are saved, that have a relationship with Jesus, listen, for the believer, your goals should always include spiritual progress. Your goals should, improve, should include building God's kingdom, winning souls, witnessing, discipling, and living holy, allowing God to sanctify you. These have to be your goals if you're a Christian. And it's not something that you, you write out and say, okay, this is what I got to do. You have Jesus in you, and so it's what flows out of you. It's what you want to do because you're saved. It's not something you have to do because you're saved. It's what you want to do because you're saved. And a lot of times, we use the wrong measure for progress as we follow Jesus. You know, when we, we do building projects or we want to improve the house of God, or we want to improve the church or improve the women's home, the men's home, administration office, or whatever we're doing, right? No one ever calls me to measure anything out to try and buy the right material, right? No one ever says, oh, put that on the phone. We need to measure this or measure that, right? Why? Because I would use the wrong measure, right? They'd need, they'd need inches and I would come around and do centimeters, right? I would use the wrong measure. And a lot of us, we use the wrong measure if we're progressing and becoming successful in our Christian walk. Well, how do you do that, Zachariah? Okay, I'll tell you. How much money are you making? What do you have in your life? Right? What's your career? What's your reputation? What's your position? A lot of times we use the wrong measure to measure progress in Christianity. We use the wrong measure. We're checking by centimeters and, and God's wanting inches. And we think we're good because we got a whole lot more centimeters, but it turns out we don't have enough inches. We're using the wrong measure to measure progress in our Christian walk. And if you're not making progress in areas that truly count, it's because you're being distracted. Amen? Fifth, number five, fifth point. How do you know you're being distracted? There's no passion in your Christian walk. There's no passion. Apathy is a sign of distraction. There's no passion. You see, purpose and passion, they're linked. If you're living out your God-given purpose, you will walk in a spirit-empowered passion. The enemy will fill your time schedule, right? The enemy will fill your time schedule, keep you busy, 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 busy. 
You're tired at the end of the day. Pass out. The enemy will fill your time schedule. Listen, God will maximize your time schedule. God will maximize your time schedule. And so you ask yourself, what are God's goals for me? And what is necessary for me to do to accomplish God's goals for me? And then you ask yourself again, am I doing what is necessary to accomplish God's goals for me? Worship team, you can head this way. I'll say it again. Number one, what are God's goals for me? Number two, what is necessary for me to do to accomplish God's goals for me? And number three, am I doing what is necessary to accomplish God's goals for me? Amen? Number six, how you know you're being distracted. Number six is the last one. No clarity of the real enemy. You want to know how you're being distracted with something that doesn't even matter? That is so minute and small compared to what you really need to be focused on? There's no clarity of the real enemy. There's no clarity. If you are consumed with overcoming a struggle with someone else, it's because the enemy has distracted you. If you don't focus or invest any time overcoming the real struggle with the real enemy, it's because you're being distracted. And most of the time, the enemy will magnify stuff that really doesn't matter to distract you from what really does matter. And some of you are real easy, right? <laughs> Satan just have a, a leadership meeting, right? And he says, oh, all you got to do to him is just show some faults of a leader. He's out of there. <laughs> He ain't got no power, no focus. He ain't going to do nothing for God's kingdom. All you got to do is magnify a few faults of the leader, the pastor. That's all you got to do to him. You can go mess with somebody else after that. Now, let's be real. Some of us, man, if we get folk, man, we see something wrong in a leader or a pastor, right, or, or another brother or sister, that we're, that's it. We ain't got nothing else going on in our head. We are focused and determined to fix that person. Enemies just kicked back. Chilling. No souls getting saved. No, none of God's kingdom getting built. Nobody's witnessing. We're just consumed with fixing each other. Amen? First Samuel, I'm closing. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 20. We're going to verse 30, all right? And the word of God reads like this. So David arose early in the morning and he left the flock with the keeper. And he took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And what I think is so cool about the life of David is David was always progressing with God. He was also, he, he was always walking with God and going forward. He was progressing. He was having progress in his life. But what David always did is he always made sure his former responsibility was taken care of so he could go forward to the next responsibility. 
You see, a lot of us think when God gives us an opportunity that we just cancel out and forget everything we're doing right here so we can go do something new, go do something else. When the reality is God didn't call you from your former assignment yet. He wants you to take care of your former assignment responsibility while you progress to the next. And David says he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. And so all of Israel is lined up. The whole house of God is lined up. All the saints are lined up. They're all lined up. And they see the enemy and they're scared. They have fear. They're trembling because they see the real enemy and they don't feel like they can overcome the real enemy. And it says, Israel and the Philistines drew up in one battle array, army against army. And then David, he left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. Because if you're going to war, you got to leave your baggage with the right person. You got to leave your baggage in the hands of Jesus. You got to put all the weights and all the baggage and all your load in the hands of Jesus if you're ever going to be successful in Christianity. And it says he ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And as he was walking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of Philistines. And he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him, and they were greatly afraid. The saints were greatly afraid when they saw the enemy. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel, and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him. And with great riches will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David was full of faith. He was full of the Spirit. He knew his life was in the hands of God. The victory was in the hands of God. He saw the enemy. He saw the struggle. He saw the opposition. And he was not afraid. He was not afraid. And not only was he not afraid, he was building faith in everyone else around him. Building faith in everyone else around him. Giving them hope. Keep going. And check this out. The Bible says... There's the real enemy. We see the enemy. We see the opposition. We see the real struggle. We see what we're trying to accomplish. We have to have God to do it. We need God to do it. And the Bible says David's older brother, Eliab, he heard how David had faith. He saw David. And it says his anger burned against him. And he looked at David and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left the sheep? He's trying to criticize him, trying to accuse him. I know your insolence and the wickedness in your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. And David said, now, what have I done? Was it not just a question? And the Bible right here, right here in verse 30, shows us what to do when the enemy tries to distract us. The Bible says, David, he then turned away. He turned away from the confliction, the argument. He turned away from the problem with his brother and he faced the real enemy. He didn't have time to get caught up in the problem over here with his brother. He had to face the real enemy. He didn't have time to focus on that. There is so much to do here in Victory Life. 
why constantly all we're doing is trying to fix conflicting arguments and relationships. There is so much to do and there's a real enemy out there that wants to stop victory life from reaching souls, from building God's kingdom. Stand to your feet, saints. We don't have time to get caught up in the petty. We don't have time to get caught up in the petty. We don't have time for it. There is so much to do in God's kingdom. These are the last days and God wants to use this last day's army to reach the masses. And so my final word for you this morning, has the enemy emptied all your passion by having you focus on division with other Christians? Has the enemy pulled you from the most important battle by diversion? Do you unknowingly focus on things that aren't even a real threat to you? We had an awesome time at this conference, but the enemy wants to distract you from applying in it and walking in it. So today, if you've already become become distracted, this altar is going to be open. Come hit your knees and ask God to refocus you this morning. Ask God to clarify what he wants for you. Ask God to do an awesome work in your heart to reveal to you the distractions in your life. We have a God who has overcome the enemy. But if you don't know the enemy is in your life, you won't understand the power that's been given to you. power in the name of Jesus.